Scripture reading for today comes from 1 Corinthians 6, verses 1 through 8. Or actually, I guess in this case, it's 6 through 8. Sorry about that. Um, when what, Which one of you has a grievance again with one another? Does he dare go to the law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are not to judge angels? How much more than matters pertain to this life? So if you have such cases, why lay them before those who do not have any standing in the church? I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute among the brothers? But brother goes to law against brothers, and that before unbelievers. To have lawsuits at all with one another is already defeat for you. Why not suffer, rather suffer a wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? But you yourselves wrong and defraud even your own brothers. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, we're in our fifth installment here of our series. And I start by telling you that my friend, Dr. Walker, is dead now. My friend, Dr. Walker, is dead. But I want to tell you about him. Uh, He ran a teaching lab at a regional hospital. And he's a brilliant chemist, a brilliant teacher, researcher, a very gentle guy. And in this lab that he ran, uh, he repeatedly petitioned the hospital leadership uh, to change overall protocols as it related to dangerous chemicals in their lab, uh, like placement, proximity, transport, care, storage, um, limitations of concentration, systems who would be using them, training, you name it. Um, he documented all of these concerns, made appeals, had detailed solutions offered, uh, both in person with the hospital's leadership, uh, both a- and also in writing. And he had said this, he said to the hospital uh, leadership, he said, look, a a serious accident um, isn't just a possibility here. Um, It's imminent. Like all we're doing, it's just a matter of time until the serious accident happens. And he told that to the hospital leadership. uh, And they didn't want to uh, make these changes because it would either be an entirely new lab or very expensive renovations. And so they said, Dr. Walker, if you could just increase your training and increase your signage, uh, which he did uh, to a great degree. Uh, but the, the, the day came for the predicted accident because he said it was going to happen. Uh, a colleague spilled a large amount of uh, dangerous chemicals, and Dr. Walker came to assist his uh, colleague, and he slipped and he became instantly saturated his clothes with these burning chemicals. And uh, he was trying to get out, extricate himself from the situation, um, but it got worse. He could not, passed out uh, until help finally arrived from the hospital. Um, uh, They put Dr. Walker in kind of the, uh, if there is a presidential suite in a hospital, it's the penthouse uh, room. There's one bed and it's private care, attentive and extensive care. And he was in this um, same room for over six months, receiving painful skin graft after painful skin graft over uh, almost 90% of his body. Uh, Now, um, about a year later, Dr. Walker returned to work in his lab. 
Now, if there is a slam dunk injury claim case, if you've ever seen this with millions waiting for you on the back end, like this is it. It's not frivolous. It's meticulously documented. It's preventable personal injury um, with deep, deep insured pockets to go after. But Dr. Walker had a very difficult decision to make. Uh, he follows Jesus. He followed Jesus. And he takes Jesus at his word. And especially this part in 1 Corinthians 6. And his friends who ran this hospital followed Jesus too. And so Dr. Walker, in faith, refused to bring a legal case to the state. Uh, and he brought it to his community of belief. So the leadership of this little church said, Dr. Walker, what is it that you want? And he said, well, um, some of the insurance didn't cover all of my medical bills. And so I I would need some help. Not all of it. I just need some help with the remainder of the medical bills. Uh, he said, I used my vacation time because I was in the hospital and we did, and there was a weird leave of absence policy. So I exhausted whatever little was there. So um, for a good portion of that year, uh, my, I didn't get a salary and I'd really like some help there just with my family. And then uh, the third thing he said, and he said, and I really would like those corrective measures for the lab. Uh, so they said, uh, anything else you want, Dr. Walker? No. I don't. So they had a meeting with, uh, a big meeting with the hospital, um, hospital leadership and uh, who was, and, and uh, the room was quite lawyered up. Insurance, hospital lawyers, uh, it, was a, it was a fun group. And so uh, the, Dr. Walker with one of his friends from the community of belief uh, came to this meeting and uh, they presented what I just said to uh, <laughs> the lawyers. <laughs> and <laughs> the insurance lawyers were probably the ones in most disbelief. when They said, um, <laughs> is that really it? And uh, he said, yeah. Uh, uh, he said, could you do this? <laughs> and it, they did not need a meeting. They said, why, yes, we can do that. We can so much vary, tripping over themselves to be like, that. if that's what you want, that's what you get. Question for you tonight, could you do this? Is this too antiquated for modern city dwellers? Is this too antiquated, this like, between Jesus followers, could you hammer something out? What does Jesus have for us here? Now you might think this is really distant to you, like 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 I'm I, I don't want to I'm not I don't have legal beef with anyone here. Or let me just tell you this: this is not as distant as you think, because at some point in your life as a Christian in His community, guess what? You will have beef with somebody inside Jesus's community. You will. So here's the shape. Here's the truth. Paul says this, don't go to the state's courts. He's talking about a community, a believing community. Don't go to the state's courts with your suits, your disputes, and your injuries. Keep it within his community. Now, why does he say this? So this is where we're going. First is this, is that 
Paul realizes that there's two different kingdoms at play here, and those two different kingdoms have very different goals. So that's the first thing. Second thing is God's community has something that maybe we don't know we have, and we have a job title and a position that needs to use what we don't, we may not know that we have. And then I want to talk about this. There's a question that this text is going to ask you in your heart is what are you trying to win? And then the fourth one is we need a power. It's going to be Jesus. Surprise, spoiler alert. Um, we need a power to give us to do what we think isn't, is powerless and it doesn't get much. So we need a power to do that. And we're going to see how Jesus interacts with the lawsuits. So I think there's a sense for me, maybe for many modern people, um, when we come to this passage, that it really does seem disconnected a little bit from the world, real world because um, there are injuries and injustices cropping up and popping off on the daily. And there's this inintuitive doubt maybe that you might have and I might have, and we're like, would this really work in real life, Pastor Tim? apart from Dr. Walker and his inspiring story. So here's God's truth and wisdom for us. And I'm just going to tell you, his speaking to us tonight is greater than my doubts and it's greater than my intuition. And he gives it to us in 1 Corinthians 6. And this is from verse 1. Paul's saying, when one of you has a grievance against one another, does he dare, does he dare go to the law before the unrighteous? instead of the saints. Like you'd go there before you went to the saints. So implied there is, yeah, don't do this. Why would you duke it out with your brother and sister? What in the state's courts? That's not good. Why would you allow that? Um, why would you, why would you not go to God's community for wisdom and recourse? Okay. So here, let's look at why. Um, I said this before, there are two different kingdoms at play and they, they have two different goals. They have two different aims. Um, Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 6, 4, the fourth verse there, he says this. So if you have such cases, why do you lay them before people that have no standing in the church? So he's saying there, there are people inside a community, people outside a community. Why do you go outside the community and say, hey, could you figure this out for me? Um, the world, and Paul uses this word unrighteous. Why would you go to the unrighteous? And that's a little shorthand to say um, where people get their right from, right? So we're saying as a community of belief, I get my right from Jesus. And if you're outside that community, you're just like, I get my right somewhere else. Like I get it through my work. I get it through my career. I get it through the bottle. I get it through a bed. I get it through what I get my right somewhere else, but it's not Jesus. So Paul, that's the shorthand for Paul. And he says this, um, jurisprudence, the law, the state's law. And I want you to think here, I know we're talking about Corinth, but you can make some connections here with Western law, Western jur- jurisprudence. What are the goals that our state's courts have? What are their aims? Well, fairness. Is that good? Yes, it's good. Equity. That's, that's good. Um, parity. I would even use a word like equilibrium. Um, the very symbol for justice in America is what? The scales. We, we are looking for something that is not out of whack. We're looking for equilibrium. That's kind of Western law. That is the aim of Western law. There's an old uh, 
law joke, especially in family law. Um, I, I had a church full of lawyers uh, at one point, and uh, there's an old joke that, that, that says this, uh, uh, you know that justice has been achieved when both parties are equally unhappy. That's like Western jurisprudence. Oh, you're both very unhappy. Job done. Mission accomplished. So uh, we often will go into a suit, into a dispute, and say, look, um, I'm, I want my rights that are granted to me by the state. Whatever the state has as my, I want those rights. Okay. That's not bad for human-made law world, legal world. Um, but let me just tell you is that it's actually very limiting because the only vehicle and tool that the state has is what? Law and statute. That's all they have when they look at a person. They say, what did it do with the statute? How did you infract? How did that person infract? How did, what, what is it? What's, what's the reward for that? You're, the only vehicle that you have is statute. Now, let me tell you where, let me just show you really briefly where a believing community can go further in a healthy way than the state's law. So um, here's an example that comes from our community. A little while back, you don't need to know the names, doesn't matter. Um, a husband physically abusing wife. And cops are called multiple times. And the cops say, hey, do you want to press charges, sweetie? No, I don't. I just wanted to, I just, I just needed a wake up call. No, I don't. Okay. Uh, I get wind of it. Now, the law is limited by statute. The law is limited by statute, saying we will only do it if you can press charges, and then we'll appeal to the courts, and they can see what you infracted upon, and then we'll do something. But they say, no, we don't want that. So now what? Here's where a believing community can go further than the law towards health, is I find out about it, and I'm just like, look, first of all, sweetie, we need to get you safe. We need to get you in a very safe place. And buddy, we need to have a talk. We need to have a heart-to-heart. Well, I don't know if I want that heart-to-heart. Pal, buddy, friend, do you want me to blow things up with your employer? Do you want to blow things up with a community? You have an opportunity right now to walk into wholeness towards something that the law can't touch yet. That the law can't touch yet. I am not here to shame you. I'm not here to hurt you. I'm here to put you on a pathway to wholeness as well as your wife who is on a unique pathway to wholeness. Do you see how a believing community can go further than the law towards something that is healthy and good. That's real. If you're a woman here tonight, you're like, that sounds positive. All right. That's the aim of jurisprudence. There's limitations of the world's jurisprudence, but God's community, God's saints, we actually have different aims and goals besides parity and equilibrium and fairness and the scale's not out of whack. I don't think it's less than that, but we have so much more.
This is what our aim is for all people around us in a community. This is our aim and goals under Jesus. I want us to be one. I want, I want, and that's like a reconciliation. I want there to be peace. I want there to be kindness. Can the law tell us, can the law, can the law say, hey, hey, we're working for kindness between you two. Nope. I'm looking for fruit of God's spirit on your life and in your interactions, interrelationally and otherwise. That's an aim. I, am, I'm, I want your wholeness. I want your flourishing in every category of human existence. Like, I, 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 this is it. Is you can, this, the community of God is a place where you're saying, I want both the victim and the victimizer to have a pathway to restoration under God and mutual forgiveness and reconciliation with God and his community and with each other and individuals. And a, like, these are high aims here. Do you think jurisprudence can pull that off? And Paul says, look, there is a collective wisdom among the people of God who are aligned by the same truths. Um, And don't you think that community would be so much better for all of your life than one judge or 12 jury members? All right, this is what Paul says. Um, moving on to the second one. Um, he's, he's talking about like God's community, God's people. They, they have something and they have a job to do. So here it is in verses five and six. I say to the steer Shane, this is Paul, can it be that there's a little sarcasm here? Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between the brothers? Can you hear that tone? (laughs) Can it be that there's just no one who's wise among you? Can't find one, huh? Not one. Not one. And then what does he say in verse 2? Or do you not know the saints, those are people made right by Jesus, the saints, will judge the world. And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to judge trivial cases? Um, This is, what do God's people possess? They have God's spirit who has given them wisdom. To individuals and to us when we, we get all together, the congregation, the assembly, the coagulation of Jesus' people. You've got wisdom more than you know. Did you know that as a spirit-occupied person, you have wisdom that you cannot learn at university or learning through a book just because you have the spirit of God in you? What does Paul say a spiritual person is? If you remember back in 1 Corinthians 2, oh, I understand the words of God and I make much of the cross. That's a spiritual person. Is that you? Then you have wisdom more than you know. Now, what is their directive? Judging. Now, I think when you hear that word judging in Christian circles, or maybe 
external Christian, external from Christian circles, is I think a lot of people equate Christian judging with um, like side glancing stink eye, like with notes of um, superiority and disdain all at the same time. I think that's what people, the common understanding of judging, but that is not biblical judging. Um, what I described there, that, that stink eye with superiority and disdain, is literally anti-Jesus, anti-good news, anti-Bible. So that is not Christian judging. Uh, judging is what? It takes keen, keen observation, nuance, complexity, fairness, yes, but deep synthesis of people and context and backgrounds and stories and trajectories. We want right judgments. I, I, I'm telling you, we want judges. It's why, it's why if, you, if you watch a football game now, uh, like it used to be, um, you know, I don't know, the conception I have is that those massive cameras they would put in the, in the 60s, and they put like two of them. They could only afford two of them. Now you have 20 plus cameras covering a game. If there's a bad call, they will stop play. I mean, it is a chore. for. A, they're going to go over and over. Why? Because we want right judgment. You better get it right. We long for right judgment because that's what we want to see. That's what we want to see. And this is Paul's gentle smack to us. Maybe it's a pat on the back. Maybe not the hiney, maybe the back. Um, Where he says, look, you have wisdom. You do. You have it. But he doesn't want you and I to possess it like a library. He he doesn't want us to be caretakers of wisdom where... um, It's unused, but we archive it and we amass it. No. He wants us to have an active responsibility with wisdom and use it. He wants active application of wisdom. Uh, There's a Harvard business professor, and he, he asks this every year to his students. And he has this little story, and he says, look, there are four frogs on a log, and three of the frogs decide to jump off. How many frogs are on the log? Maybe I should, how many frogs are on the log? (laughs) Risk it, risk it, guys, risk it, go for it. Four, four, that's great. All right, you guys are highly educated people. Because he wants his students to know that deciding and knowing and agreeing and believing are very different from doing. Paul says this, you have the wisdom now. You have the wisdom now. You have it. Use it, use it, use it. Work out that muscle, that wisdom. You're going to be using it later too, by the way, Paul says. Yeah, yeah, end of days. Yeah, you're going to be judging with Jesus. See, wisdom is applied knowledge. Wisdom does not equal knowledge. And he says, use that wisdom rightly to the right people at the right time in the right way. You can do it. You have the wisdom. 
And it means this, is I'm going to take the aims of God, the goals of God, and I'm going to apply it to conflict, real conflict within Jesus' community. And let me tell you, they are real messes. Do not be, um, don't think they're anything less than very, very messy. Real hostile conflict with real, very mad people. It happens in Jesus' community. And Paul says you have the wisdom to bring that to bear in real situations of hostility. You have it. You have it among you. All right, so there's a question here, and Paul says this, is um, what are we trying to win? Uh, In pursuing a lawsuit, in pursuing justice, in pursuing recourse, uh, you're usually looking for um, someone to get punished, you want them to get whacked a little bit. Or, or and, you're looking for some award. Give me money to reflect the thing that I'm mad about. I was injured. So we're looking for punishment and we're looking for award. Um, what does it look like? I, I, I think for me, it's like, uh, I want my money back. I want my money back. I want them to feel pain like I have been feeling pain. Is that too much to ask? I want them exposed for kind of like not for being jerks. I I want them to understand their error. Worst case scenario is like, I want you in jail and I want $13.6 million. Listen to God speak. Listen to God speak. This is verses 7 and 8. To have lawsuits at all with one another. He's talking about intramural, right? Among a Christian community is already a defeat for you. Why not suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? But you yourselves wrong and defraud even your own brothers. Paul says this, you've already lost. You take them to the state's courts, you lost. Now, why does he say that? People are more important than punishments or exorbitant awards. Luke 6, Jesus is talking. And he says this, he says, when you lend, don't expect to get anything back. Let me rephrase it. Lend as if it's just a gift. Why does he say that? Because if it's not repaid, you still have a friend. In Exodus, there is some brilliant case law that would inspire the wokest among us. In Exodus, there's interesting case law, and it says this, When you're lending to the poor, 
do not, do not, do not charge them interest at all. Think about our culture. Usury, payday loans, cash for title. Think about our culture. It is ensconced in statute and law to kill the poor with interest. Why does it say that? Because people are more important than cash. The Proverbs. Hey, uh, when you lend, when someone borrows something from you, it can be your tile saw or it can be $10,000. The Proverbs say, expect that it will never get back to you. Why? People are more important than fat stacks of cash. People, image bearers of God, are more important than fat stacks of cash. I almost want you to repeat it. Image bears are more important than money? <gasps> Say that last part again. Image bears are more important than money. Jesus says this. If, if, if someone borrows something from you, and let's say um, th- they need to borrow something, and they give you something collateral, like a backup, like a title, huh, or in Jesus' case, like a cloak, and you've given them money, and then they give you cloak, it's like a backstop. But you know that the cloak is a necessity for their warmth. Jesus says, give their cloak back to them. But how do I know if I'm going to get paid? Because you gave it as a gift. And image bears are more important than what? Wait, did someone say money? Fat stacks of cash. I love you. That's great. Someone's listening. That's right. That's right. Uh, This is the sense of Judaic law. It's in Leviticus. It's in Exodus. If you ever think the Old Testament is just a big, mean place of God smite, you you don't understand the social. We haven't even talked about the year of Jubilee. That's another sermon. It will make everyone angry. This is the sense of the Torah and Judaic law is people are more important. People are more important. People are more important. Why is that important? When I go to the state's courts, what am I looking for? Probably two things, punitive retribution or financial reward. I am. You know what I'm probably not looking for if I go to the state's courts? I'm probably not looking for a ministry of reconciliation, a relationship restored, um, a desire that they flourish, be blessed, expand their estate, a desire to see them grow and develop in every category of human emotion. I'm probably not looking for that. If I take a fellow spirit-occupied sister or brother to court, I'm like, I am willing to lose us for a thousand bucks. I'm willing to lose us for a thousand bucks. There was an older guy in my church. Uh, he gave his son-in-law a. When I say pile of cash, he gave him a pile of cash to start a business. And um, his son-in-law, uh, out of out of college, uh, did not manage it well. Um, 
had some very questionable items on his expense account and didn't really launch the business, lost interest in the business and said, oh, well, it didn't work. And my friend um, was angry, yes, but more angry that his son-in-law said, oopsies, that's it. And this, my friend wanted to take his son-in-law to court. And so I asked him, I said, hey, do you want to keep the relationship that you have with your son-in-law? Do you want to keep it for the years ahead? He said, yeah, I think I do. I said, then don't go to court. Let's do something else. Let's do something else. And we did. We set up a plan of long-term restitution. We set up a plan of, of training and, 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 and hope and possibility. We didn't know that even his son-in-law was in a really, really dark place and felt overwhelmed. Like he, We didn't know that. It was rescued. That question is primary, isn't it? I want you to remember this. Guys, divorce is a civil lawsuit. You know that, right? If you go to court before coming to the people who love both of you and the cross and want wholeness for both, and beautiful wholeness, like why would you skip that step? Why would you skip that? Why would you do that? I'm not going to get in your face like, like, oh, I've got a big stick now. Look, here comes the pastor. No. We will rally around you. We'll rally around you for something that is more than what? More than punitive. It's more than punitive and it's more than uh, award. Uh, the question is big, right? What are you trying to win? Are you trying to win a person or are you trying to win punishment or reward? All right, that's all great. You know I'm coming to Jesus. You know it. Can you always talk about Jesus at the end? <laughs> all right. Where do we get the power to do what seems like, really, that, is that going to do anything? Here it is. Where's this power to do it? Let's talk about Jesus and his interaction with the courts. All right, let's talk about Pilate, the state, Roman state, right? Jesus goes to Pilate. And let me tell you, as I read the scriptures, I actually don't see Pilate as a monster. I, I think Herod is a bad cat, but Pilate's not a monster. He just didn't care. <laughs> I think that makes him a monster. You know what Pilate did? I'm going to paraphrase. I don't find anything in our law that pertains to you. I don't. So, because I didn't find anything that pertains to you, I don't have to, I'm not obligated to work for your wholeness. <laughs> I'm not obligated to work for your life here. You just, it doesn't pertain to us, the Roman state. doesn't per intersect with us. He just didn't care. All 
All right, Jesus in the Sanhedrin. Um, religion is monstrous and murderous. If, if you want to get bad vibes, it's probably not from Pilate. It's probably from the Sanhedrin. And it's murder in the name and in the action of piety. So Jesus has confounded and always addressed their hearts. And they want Jesus to see their supercharged, super awesome, super external moral piety. And he's always saying, oh no, let's pull out your heart here in the open. And every time they're shown that what? You are whitewashed tombs. You look really great, but you've just got maggots crawling around. Like, I'm not impressed with all of your religion. And they said, um, we like death for you. I want you to maybe log this three-word phrase away. Religion killed Jesus. All right, another another court that Jesus went to, the court of public opinion, democratic appeal. Jesus turned himself over. How frightening is this? Jesus turned himself over to the Twitterverse. <laughs> huh. Snapchat, what do you think? Instagram, levy an opinion. He turned himself over to the court of public opinion. This is what I want you to see here. And they're like, yeah, could you release Harvey Weinstein, please? Yeah. We like Manson. We're kind of sentimental about Manson now. His fan club has just grown. Uh, so listen, this is great. Those three courts, the state, religion, public opinion. Jesus submitted himself to those courts and said, I'm going to be judged by their harshness and their ineptitude so that you will not be judged. I was judged there so that they don't speak over your life anymore. They're not the last word on you. I submitted myself, boom, gave me verdicts, and I did that so that they don't speak into that anymore. You have the Spirit of God in you that has gives you wisdom and a position of judging That gives you an ability now. My spirit occupies you and the judgment of my people, my peeps will never be before those three courts, ever. See, the realest, realest you is not what those courts, the state or religion or popular opinion says about you, the realest you is that you are a prized daughter and son of the biggest name in all of the universe and you didn't earn it. There's a state-of-the-art lab that bears Dr. Walker's name. 
there's a city that knows what he did. There's a Jesus community that has been shaped to the cross by this quiet, strangely kind, unassuming man. There is a man that will judge alongside his Savior rightly, gently, lovingly. I was reminded of this. This afternoon, I didn't even have this in my notes this week, and it just poof. In the late 70s, early 80s, there was um, uh, about 60 to 80 Vietnamese immigrants who had come to the U.S., and they were government-dictated to go to West Alabama, where Dr. Walker's city was, Tuscaloosa. And Dr. Walker rallied a community to lend money without interest and without expectation of getting it back. This Vietnamese community, they landed there, they got on their feet, acclimated to the U.S., and lo and behold, it's a little friendlier to Vietnamese people in California, so they immigrated there. (laughs) They migrated there. Uh, They came back in mass almost 30 years later to say thank you. And they were especially looking for a strangely kind, unassuming, gentle man named Dr. Walker. See, we don't take each other to court. No, we walk with each other to the cross. And we let Jesus make something of it. Okay? We don't take each other to court. Let's pray. Our Father and our God. Uh, we see Jesus... And then we see Jesus empowering and occupying and enlivening people like Dr. Walker. And we say, that's what we want more than fat stacks of cash. So Jesus, make this a community where we, not the absence of conflict, but the presence of your wisdom and people and right judging inside of that conflict. Jesus, make that happen. I want that. To, I want this community to be a place like that. And it can only happen through your power. Give it to us and give us the fortitude and the courage to use the wisdom that you've given us. In Jesus' name, amen.